Justin Bieber haircut, um, pretty, pretty aggressively mediocre moustache, um, and some sort of board shorts. Uh, <laughs> so this is like, the biggest call out of the quarter, like. <laughs> Kimmy blokes hate talking about their feelings. We want to change that. G'day. We're Go On Mate, a podcast that aims to normalise us men talking about how we're feeling. We're here to talk about more than just cricket and our favourite beers. We're here to try and make a difference and show that it's okay to not be okay. The inaugural guest of Go On Mate is Michael Turnbull, a.k.a. The Mikey T. Mikey is the 2021 VUSA president, a struggling law student and, among other things, an all-around good Kiwi. A Hamilton native but Wellington local, you're most likely to find him at the Hunter Lounge, in the VUSA offices, or out on the streets getting stuck in with some form of protest. Michael is no stranger to the Salient FM world, hosting Fresher 4 to 6 on Salient FM back in his first year at uni. Michael identifies as a student advocate and has always had a strong interest in fighting for student issues, making sure that we get a fair go when it comes to our education, flatting situations, or where we can go to drink when the halls kick us out at 10 o'clock. When it comes to mental health, Mikey has his own journey that has somewhat merged with his life in Busa. Without further ado, here is yours truly, Michael Turnbull. Today we're going to ask you a few questions, just kind of about your career in student politics, a little bit about your mental health, how you're dealing with the new role as Busa president, as we know it can be a pretty stressful job at times. So to take us away, Sam's got a few queries into your life in student politics so far. Yeah, well just straight off the bat, what got you into student politics in the first place? What got me into student politics? God, okay, so I guess the real answer to that is I really, really love my uh, my hall. Uh, I had a really good time at Warehouse for the days. That's uh, that's where I rep from. But um, Warehouse represent. Warehouse represent. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so I really, really love Warehouse and I loved the feeling of building and being a part of a community in Ware. That was something that I really enjoyed. Um, I also love chatting shit. I love being up in front of a crowd. I really enjoyed that section as well. So it kind of got to a point where I was like, you know, I could really do a lot more on a wider scale. And I felt like I could actually like benefit people's lives through doing that. So the first thing I ever ran for was like clubs and activities. And I lost by like 400 votes. It was brutal. My self-esteem was crushed for like three weeks. And then the next year, like (laughs) I kind of, it's actually really good that and really cool that I get the opportunity to speak on this a little bit today because what ultimately led to me um, starting my real journey in VUSA was a lot to do with men's mental health. So um, in 2019, early 2019, um, I kind of, and late 2018, I um, started reading more about uh, men's mental health and kind of um, I had some things happen in my own life and the life of my friends that kind of made me really aware that men's mental health was quite a big problem for Aotearoa. Like it's, it's not a, the thing to just sweep under the rug. No, no. You know, and that's that's why it's really cool to have you guys doing like a podcast like this, which is aimed specifically at university student males who quite often, um, instead of talking about their feelings, will sink a coffin. So it's really good yeah. to like have have this show. And so um, I ran for well-being and sustainability officer um, because I really wanted to focus on men's mental health. One by like... 12 votes and from then on I <laughs> kind of yeah here <laughs> I am now I climbed the slippery pole of politics and now I'm up here yeah yeah I'll 
I guess I was going to ask why Viewser, why why work so closely with the university mm. sort of caucus? Why not just go straight into the deep end? You know, yeah. city councillor, look at Tampal now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's obviously making some yeah. waves. I mean, why are you with, sort like, of staying the uni as well? Like being just like the last couple of years with kind of the shit show it's been in doing politics and stuff. Like it's pretty big ass to, you know, take on the big dogs and the uni council and stuff. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I think that's like, that's a real good question because I think Vusa gets a lot of flack for being too closely aligned with the university. Yes, um, like <laughs> a lot of flack. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what people forget is that Vusa is an independent organisation, right? Like, we are independent from the university. Um, We do work with them. We sit on a number of boards as student representatives. So that means quite often we're outnumbered, like, one or two representatives to, like, 20 academics in academic board meetings, things like that, where we're pushing for student voice um, alongside other student representatives from groups like, I don't know, you might say Studio or something like that, you know, like other groups out there. Um, (laughs) So, you know... Uh, we are, like, independent, and you bring up a really good, like, point there. Like, why even bother going through student politics and having to put up with the bullshit that is dealing with university bureaucracy, going through that sort of stuff? But you talk about Tam Paul. Tam Paul is a really good example of someone who looked at the university system and thought, fuck, like, I can actually change this, right? Yeah, so Tam is a really good example of someone who looked at the university system and recognised how much sway VUSA as a student association have both within the system and outside of it. You know, like, we, in that year in particular, 2019, which I was really lucky to be a part of, um, we organized things like school strike for climate alongside the school school strike for climate leaders we um helped prevent a liquor ban of kelvin park which would have led to students getting drunk down alleys and you know like being safe found town yeah yeah safe found town yeah yeah so so being put in really dangerous positions like that like that is the lobbying and the power of a student advocacy network that we can have here and i like i will admit Fusa has its flaws. Just like any big organization, it doesn't always live up to the play. But this year is going to be different. I've seen how it's worked in the past. This is just like, now it's like a political pitch, right? But anyway, <laughs> it's completely um, we'll, we'll, we'll pull back on that just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, Join Fusa people. <laughs> so I, I, do, I do think that, you know, like, why not go for something external? Well, I think Fusa is a really good way to work with marginalized student groups on campus, support them appropriately. Um, it's also a really good way to... I think learn how the kind of political bureaucracy works before you go for something bigger, you know, gain some actual skills. Yeah, better life experience. Better life experience yeah. and, and do that while working with a really specific community, mm. you know? And actually like a community that you're a part of and you give a shit about. You'll never get the opportunity to be this involved in a community and help lead like um, engagements, events, protests like this again. You know, you can't get a, we can't get away with the stuff that we do now if we were in like no, central politics. You I know, guess yeah. also you know if you're a politician for the masses, like you're essentially not the same as everyone else that you're lobbying yeah, for. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. as a student, that's the one thing that everyone has in common, I guess. So, exactly, yeah. yeah. Common exactly. Ground, yeah. You know, I mean, unless you're like, I don't know, a farming candidate from Gore. Like, yeah. you're never going to have this kind of community relation again, yeah. right? You're and in that case, it's like a literal the city's like relation. going to get behind you, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, and that's the really cool thing about it is that this is a place where you can kind of create those connections and like build upon the success of specific groups at campus. At the moment, we're looking at all sorts of stuff in, in terms of like working with Naitoweta and stuff. Things that haven't been done for years. And it's really cool to see this working. And like 
be able to tangibly see these differences. Like never again will you be this closely connected to the differences that you can make somewhere. Yeah. You know, that's what I find amazing about student advocacy. That's what I love about being involved in like student politics. And I don't think that's just relevant to VUSA. I think that's relevant to any form of student representation. You can tangibly see the differences that you make and you can directly engage with those groups to make a difference. Sorry, Sweet. mate. So so I'm crying, I'm crying a little bit. I just want you guys to know that. There's a singular <laughs> yeah. tear rolling down my yeah. We do have one question for you, though. Yeah. Do you aspire to be a politician long term? Yeah, you got two or three years maybe left at university. What happens after that? Uh, look, I've been, you know, I've been mulling this over. Last year when um, I was up against a pretty tough candidate for use of presidential <laughs> elections, um, we were asked a very similar question where it was essentially like, you know, is this just a stepping stone to get into like further politics? Um, I think long term, I really like representing communities and like working through systems to make change. But I think that's probably a pretty long term thing. I'd like to get more life experience under my belt before I become like a full blown politician. Yeah. Um, I really like to work doing some form of community engagement and building, perhaps crisis management. Um, working in disaster zones and humanitarian areas. Um, that's my, like, liberal dream. But, like, you know, who knows what happens, right? That's that's what I'd really like to do yeah. um, and spend some time overseas doing that, uh, maybe working in city planning, knowing a little bit more about how to govern effectively and how to make the right decisions for people before I go into anything more permanent. So the five-year plan's a whole lot of I've got no idea. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just see, <laughs> see where things take you. Yeah, yeah pretty so much. A little bit of that pretty and much. hopefully we end up in the right spot. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, like, that's a thing, right? I think some people have these big, elaborate five-year plans where they go this step, that step. I think you oh, should always, that. straight up, you, you always need to keep it flexible, right? Yeah. New things are going to pop up, new opportunities, new things that you're like, wow, this is is something I really care about. This is where I could focus. And that's where you should put your time and energy. Do some planning, you know, plan your lunches, but don't go too far. Don't yeah. go like, don't go too far. Don't, don't stifle yourself by planning too far ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like you're a pretty busy dude and like you've kind of got like busy life kind of lined up for you. What would you kind of put in place to make sure you're not like overworked and get burnt out too early? Uh... I don't know. Like, like, As the most overworked person that I know, he yeah, is stumped. Like, <laughs> like, like speaking from experience, like, because I've got a lot of shit on. Yeah. Right? Like, I've got, like, three jobs. I'm studying You're on that grind at the like, moment, eh? Yeah. This. So I was like, it's, it, I'm, I'm just lucky that, like, I'm not working in halls anymore. It's so, like, when I go home, I'm, yeah. like, at home and I can yeah. just, like, chill, play some 2K, just hang yeah. out with my flatmates, just whatever. Yeah. Uh, that's... Oh, that sounds real... like a dream. Yeah, that is... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wonder what that's like. It's, it's far out. What do, what do I what do I do to not? Are you asking me like what I do to not burn out, or like or, like what, what can like, I do early on not to burn out? Just like things like what have you either done or planted to make sure you're not going to get like either overworked this year or like in the future. <sighs> Look, like uh, this is a I've been adapting to this this whole time these last three months, and one thing that I've realized if you don't put time aside for friends in advance in this role, you just like will use that time to work instead. So that's something that's been something that I've been working on a little bit more is actually like putting time aside for friends for like chilling out well in advance like you have to actually pencil in time you have to make time to make time and so this is a ridiculous kind of like paradox right and that's that's something that has helped me so far has actually been like look 
if I don't organize my social life, which I hate, I don't, I don't like having to organize a social life. I like being more spontaneous and being able to like just hit someone up and hang out with them. Yeah. If I don't organize them, it won't, it won't, it won't happen. And it, which is weird, but it's uh, adapt like something I've had to adapt to as I get into the role. And I suppose that now that you're past kind of the age of 21, we're like, there's no more like yeah. 21st really coming up. Yeah. Maybe a few that's kind of hard to kind of organize your social life a little bit. Like there's like gigs and festivals and stuff you can go to, but like just catching up with mates, it's like you actually have to like reach out and like be like, yeah. yo, I'm free next week from Tuesday from five to nine. Let's catch up then. I mean, I think like you raise a really good point about like 21st, right? And about like, I think a wider discussion about, you know, what's the difference between people you go to parties with and will see occasionally when you're drinking and people who are actually your mates and you want to like proactively make time for. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that I think like I've really, really realized recently is that there's a lot of great people in my life and I'm really blessed to have met the people I have at university. But I'm at a point where I'm like, who are actually like my friends who would put time aside for me yeah. and who can I proactively make that time for? So like, you know, I'm, I'm at a space where, you know, I probably don't have as many mates as I used to have or as many like really close mates. And I'm cool with that because that means like I can put more quality time into like quality people that yeah, I well, really yeah. care about. 21st season sort of the great equalizer yeah, where yeah. it's just yeah. like, yeah. okay, I see you and yeah, we're pretty good at beer pong together. <laughs> but, I mean, I've actually never had that experience for well, some reason. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> You're pretty good at like the drinking part of the beer pong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah harder. I, yeah. yeah, man. So I guess that's that's kind of like... That's it, right? Like, it's about finding out who you actually want to make time for. Because when you live a busy life, time becomes a really valuable part of it. Um, and that includes the time you put aside for, like, family, friends, doing a podcast, you know, like, all that kind of stuff. Like, this yeah. is, you got to balance up. What's the what's the purpose for me spending this time? Yeah, I suppose as well, like, there's, like, that story of, like, putting, like, the rocks, gravel, and, like, the sand, and, like, water into a jar that kind of story where like you have to like put in your family mm. and mates first yeah, and then yeah. like all your other shit comes in after yeah it's like yeah. if you haven't got foundation there then it's really hard to like have people to you can kind of go back to when you're like overworked and yeah. freaking out and stuff yeah exactly because eh? it's like and i think this has probably been something i've been bad at, at the, in the past has been um when I was still adapting to working longer hours or having less time in my schedule is like, you know, when I get really stressed out or like when I need to hang out with someone, if I hadn't made that time for other people, you know, that's not saying they wouldn't make that time for me, but it's almost a bit unfair to then expect them to be there for that. Um, so it is about, you know, like showing appreciation through the time that you give to people as well. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Speaking about the job, with the job itself like there's a lot of pressure there just like to kind of be the face of every single student in the uni and to like speak for them and stuff how have you just found the pressure like how are you finding the new role like three months and like i've seen like a few stuff articles you have kind of spoken to about, like, <laughs> like housing and stuff yeah just like having to speak to media or like going to like council meetings or whatever just i am actually if i don't say so myself Pretty good at speaking to media in general. Like, I, I, that's not the hard part for me. The hard part is not the actual talking to media or um, being in meetings because, you know, when you go into meetings, you go on with a purpose 90% of the time. You know why you're there. What I find really hard and what I find I get a lot of pressure from, and I'll, like, touch on this a little bit later, I think, as we get more into that mental health side of things. Yeah. Social media freaks me the fuck out, man. Like, it is so hard to do. Yeah. And I, I'm not someone who has been really into that kind of self-promotion via social media. 
Um, I think I made a social media post. The last one I did was views related, and the last Instagram post I made was. Oh my! Was that like? Hold up! I think it was like last year or early this year, maybe. Um, I don't, and I don't use it a lot. I don't yeah. even know how to use stories. Like I remember doing it once. <laughs> I'm figuring it out. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I remember doing it once during um the presidential campaign, and I accidentally posted the same story to my close friends and like my general friends list, and I just like thought like how offended those who saw the close friends thing would be because they're like, oh, like I posted it first, and they're like, oh, yo, this is so cute, just for close friends, not. Nah everybody sorry yeah. guys but yeah it's just like i i have no that's something that i find i have like there's a lot of pressure on because you have to constantly like self-promote mm. yourself you have yeah. to sell yourself as being um i don't know like a larger than life kind of person without yeah. taking my role too like seriously you know it's, yeah. it is still just shooting politics but you know like a consistent voice um and yeah i struggle with that self-promotion that's probably the biggest pressure for me because i see other people doing it and i'm like how do you have the time and energy like some people who are representatives spend every hour of their day like posting on their stories, like Chloe Swarbrick. Yeah, I don't She's know. So engaged. I don't know how you do it. Like, surely that's just taxing. Yeah. I don't know. Or even just like in general, like I think you touched on a good thing about social media. Just it seems like pretty much everyone's trying to self-promote these days. Like yeah. it's like yeah. everyone's trying to create their own little like brand of who they are. Yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, why? Like, I mean, because you're just creating like not a false sense of yourself because some of the stuff is true, yeah. like truly who you are. But I see like just like scrolling through my like, um, what's it called? Like the exploration the or yeah, like yeah. Um, thing in Instagram. It's just like, I see like the same image just depending on like what like yeah. the trends are of like yeah. clothes or like where people are holidaying or like new phones and stuff. It's a really interesting culture. Like people are so focused on like personal branding. And, like, that must create so much, like, anxiety. Like, if I post this, like, how many likes am I going to get? Like, how many comments? Like, who's going to share it? Like, yeah. is it is it cool enough? Yeah. I mean, like, I guess for me, it's not so much, like, like, I think you can always work on the level of engagement. I think you can always work on how to get more likes and how to get more shares, what sort of thing gets clicked on more. What I worry about more is... How will people react to this? How is the way that I'm saying this going to get engagement? What are people's comments going to be? What are people going to say about this? What are they going to say to their mates about this? What are they going to say to their mates about this? Am I being a too... Gossip kind of side of things. Not even like the gossip, just like almost like like, like you say, like you say, right? This idea of creating um, brands, right? Like how is this going to impact my brand? Who who am I going to be seen as? Am I going to be seen as like a fun kind of student president? Like, oh, look, it's a white guy with a mullet. Hey! <laughs> or like, you know, are people going to take me seriously? Yeah. And yeah. where do I want to strike that balance? Because like, you know, it's it's tough. And I've had discussions with other people who aren't white guys with mullets and they've had to work really really hard to get into these positions of leadership because they might be uh, a woman of color or you know um they might have come from a refugee or immigrant background and they don't have the luxury that i have to be able to come up here and be a bit of a goofball and still be respected Mm. so it's like also like how do you show respect to that how do you you know work as hard as these other people who have to work twice as hard as i have to get where they've got you know yeah, what i mean it's yeah. just that you know as soon as you put yourself out there you've got the almost privilege of people saying okay i'm going to take him seriously because yeah. he's even though he's a white guy with a mullet yeah. and if i may say 
terrific beard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like Stop you've still it. got to strike that balance of um, of actually giving a shit yeah. um, because otherwise you're not really doing your bit exactly. and you can't really take it for granted that just because you'll get elected because you're this person that people can see and people can look up mm. to and trust doesn't mean that you can't actually represent them or doesn't yeah. mean that you can slack off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I guess like, that, you know, I am also insanely privileged in the fact that I get paid a living wage to do my job. Being paid to be a student representative is hands down the best job I will ever have. Wouldn't that be nice, getting paid to be a student rep? <laughs> and this is the thing, right? Yeah. There are, like, this is why it's such a privilege, is that there are so many other student rep groups yeah. out there who work just as hard as VUSA, don't have the same resources, don't have the same reach, don't have the same, I don't know, a level of engagement that we do, and don't get paid for their time, despite yeah. the work that they do, Yeah, you know? And that's why there has to be this higher standard on VUSA. There has to be a higher... Um, pressure on us to deliver more and to deliver better um, and work with those groups to support them. You know, it's, it's so important that we recognize that when we're in paid representative roles, because honestly, like I sometimes I, I look at um, some other paid representatives and um, people who are in political positions who don't do their job. And I'm like, just don't do your job if you're not going to work as hard as people who don't get paid for it, you know? I believe everyone should get paid for the work they do, but you need to make sure that you understand that that's also not the reality for yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, just tough, but yeah, 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 it happens. I mean, so yeah, with the sort of pressure that we're talking about, you've always got to be on the ball. You've mm. always got to be that person that everyone can go to. But even just in regular life, you've always got to be the one with the best jokes at social events. Yeah. Um, you've got to be able to finish your cup and beer pong. Um, <laughs> like, and there's all these sort of peer pressures, these like social pressures that you get to. It sort of must set off some sort of anxiety, always sort of having to be the person that everyone in the, lo- in the room looks to. Yeah, so this is like kind of... I guess this, this is the real part of the show, isn't yeah, it? This really, is what we all yeah. tuned in this, for, guys. This is the left turn. Yeah. 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 This wow. is our tangent. Wait, are we suddenly talking about mental health? That's crazy. How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Yeah, um, yeah so I guess that, uh, that kind of pressure, yeah, this, this idea that um, you have to be uh, the best in social situations, that you always have to, like you say, deliver a good punchline or work really hard to like, um, put yourself out there and be respected and be looked up to um, and balance that, like I say, with being like, you know, a fun person, not someone who takes their role too seriously, which I think at times I do, um, is something that, like, so I have dealt with, like, uh, a mild to medium form of, like, social anxiety for, like, two to three years now. So um, so I loved my haul. I loved my haul. It was so much fun. It was a really good time. Um, and while I was there, like, I... I was able to make a lot of connections and, like, I got really involved in the community. While I was there, created this image in my head of how I should act all the time, of how I should always be, like, the funny one. I should, be, I should always be, like, well-liked. I shouldn't, like, disappoint people with how I interact. And that is something that, like, I think I've always had, but I think was exacerbated. End of my first year in halls, which would have been, what was that, 2018? Yeah. yeah, 2018. Um, I had some, like, shit happen in my life to both myself and friends and people I cared about. Um, And I hit, like, a really, really bad spot of, like, worldly angst, 
just like this bubbling anger at like how unfair the world could be. Like I've never felt anything like that before. And I don't know if you guys ever felt it, but like I literally would wake up every day with just like, like it literally felt like there were snakes in my stomach. So I was so mad at how like unjust the world could be to certain people and you know, how unfair things could be. That got me pretty sad. I was pretty down for a Mm. while. And because I was down, I wasn't really myself. I wasn't really myself in social situations. And so what happened is I kind of started really heavily judging myself for that, um, for not being able to be that same person or not being able to be as like bright and bubbly as I'd like to be. I'd walk away from situations instead of feeling like, oh, I love socializing. Like I used to, I'd be like, damn, like I wasn't good enough. And I think that for a lot of people is the beginning of like the seeds of social anxiety. You kind of feel like mm. you're not doing as well as you could in social situations. You or feel you... like almost out of character a little bit. Yeah, like you kind of yeah. feel like a little bit removed from like who you should be. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Or like for me, it was like, this is not who I am. Like I, like I know who I know. Or I like to think I have a pretty good idea of who I am as a person and what makes me tick. Um, and I found that like starting early 2019, I just couldn't, just couldn't deliver like socially how I'd like to. And that's something that has kind of come into my role over the last couple of years. I've gotten a lot better at dealing with it now. Um, but yeah, it's certainly something that plays into, I think, not, you don't even need to be in a position of power or a position of responsibility. Like anybody who judges themselves on how well they can do socially will probably struggle with like some form of social anxiety throughout their lives. I think that's everyone though, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like, no, that's like, like we're social everyone. like animals, right? We're always going to be like judging ourselves, comparing ourselves to like our mates. Going back to my comments about like personal branding, like everyone's trying to make sure that they're like different enough that they're not too stock standard, yeah, but then yeah. like not different enough that they appear like weird or yeah. like completely just outcast from everyone else. Yeah, everyone's trying to find that sweet spot between yeah. being like, authentic without being that weirdo you know like yeah. that's that's where everyone's trying to go for yeah, yeah like, I agree. And, and like a, like a group of mates like you've always got that one funny guy the guy who's really good at sports the really good looking tall blonde dude you've got the one and michael's all three of them oh, I was so. gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> especially tall i'm so tall yeah, yeah but like you've always got like, there's, there's always one maybe two friends at most who like fill that little slot in each friend yeah, group yeah for sure. so you kind of always know like, who's gonna be the Chandler or like who's yeah. or like who's gonna be like the Joey or whatever you know just, just like <laughs> filling those little like slots that we make for ourselves yeah and there's like that pressure there of do I fit into that slot or even just trying to find the slot that you fit into because leaving like high school like teenagers is well, like being a teenager is so much about like finding yourself and like developing who you are as a person that kind of leads into like yeah. young adulthood so there's like so much pressure on like personal brand development, like making sure that that's like long term what you want to be and making sure that slots in the people you want to hang out with. Yeah. And I think there's just so much anxiety around that, just even just the pressure, just making yeah. sure that you're like doing the like right thing. I think like, and I think you touch on a really good point. Like people will set these kind of molds for themselves. Yeah. Like people will set molds for themselves as to who they see right and i think like that is one of the contributors kind of as you touched on to people feeling really socially anxious because they're like i'm not living up to this i'm not being i don't know the chandler if you'd want to be the chandler but you know like you just can't quite live up to that expectation you set and that's you know that that's something i felt as well to the point where i, I would 
stop going to parties. Like, there were nights where I was just like, nah, I can't mm. go out tonight. Like, I'm too anxious. Like, mm. I'm just going to stay in. It's um, a big mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, this was that, which was something I'd never experienced before. I've never gone to a point where I was, like, at a social situation. I'd be like, no, I'm just, I just can't come out tonight. Like, yep. I'm just too, mm. too anxious. Um, but I think, like, something that has helped me kind of recently as I've grown and kind of changed into like a bit of a different person has been like realizing that you know no one is a set mold right people have this idea um that and you know it's perpetuated throughout our culture that we are a certain person we are an ENFP we are um like uh like I don't know (laughs) you know we are we are some form of specific boxed in personality that's who we are but that's not the truth yeah. Humans and people and I don't know. I don't know why I said and like dogs. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> they change, right? Yeah. People change over time. We're not a singular set thing when it comes to our personality or who we are, and that's something that's good. Mm. It's not a bad thing that we change over time. It's mm. actually like a really beautiful part of growing up. Is that understanding that you can be multiple different people throughout your lives. You don't have to be the funny guy the whole time. You don't have to be Chandler all the time. You know, that that's that's the thing. We can change and develop as people and that's not a bad thing. I also just want to note that you're repping a 95 BFM sticker oh. in the Salient FM. I don't, I don't know I about that, that would come back to eventually. <laughs> yeah, so maybe change the stickers, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have to get some new... It's all about personal branding, you know? No, that's, uh, ah, you're killing it. You're, yeah. you're killing it. Uh, I mean... As someone who did know you, obviously, in Warehouse, and I would say you know, we're pretty close yeah. in Warehouse, yeah. it's sort of crazy to hear all this because to the layman, to the public eye, it didn't really come across as if you were ever anything but just Michael. And just Michael was someone who at formal events would wear an audacious white suit with some sort of floral print T-shirt. I've seen that photo. <laughs> or just from the day to day would be Justin Bieber haircut, um, pretty pretty aggressively mediocre moustache um, and some sort of board shorts. Uh, <laughs> so this is like, the biggest call out of the like. <laughs> So like just to hear the fact that like... Like, you know, there's ever a time where it wasn't, you know, easy swimming is sort of crazy. Um, You did hide that from the public eye quite well, if I may say so. What do you reckon? Or how? how? I think, like, I mean, I was pretty lucky that... um, Throughout a lot of warehouse, I was like really confident. Like I was enjoying it. Like throughout first year, I was was in a, um, a really good headspace. It was near the end where it kind of started kicking in and probably throughout like mm. second and third year that it got its worse. And even then, was that with like, how do you hide that? I mean, it's things yeah, like... Well, I mean, I was going to say like, you're now this face of the university. Yeah. You're emceeing all these different events. Just a few weeks ago, I saw you give an absolute pearl of a speech at the Welcome <laughs> Festival. Stop it, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, if it was me giving that speech in front of a couple of thousand little 18-year-olds who don't really care that much at this point, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd yeah. be frankly shitting myself. So, like, how do you sort of stop yourself from doing that? How do I stop myself from shitting myself? Yeah. Well, I learned at a young age mm. uh, how to avoid that. But also, in, <laughs> in general... Um, I'm still still here. <laughs> but um, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, I've heard stories. Um, yeah. like, I'm quite lucky in that I... I think for a lot of people who really enjoy being in front of crowds, I do really enjoy being in front of crowds and I do really enjoy like feeding off the energy that you get from those crowds. 
it's not so much like getting up in front of people and speaking. Like, you know, like I can, I can, I know I can get up there and I can say things, right? And I know for the most part, like, that I, I can do a reasonably good job. The issue isn't the speak, like getting up there and speaking. The issue is like, it then becomes like a competition with yourself. Like, how well can I do that? Self judgment. Yeah, bro. Like, yeah. how I did, yeah. you know, like, I, I'll sit up there I'll, I, when I did that speech. Even when I did that speech, I like went down, I was like, damn that punchline didn't hit. Did anyone get that was a joke, you know? Or like, you know, yeah. would I have made a better speech like a year ago when I had a bit more energy if I'd put like maybe 30 more minutes into the speech that I wrote two hours ago? Would this be like better, you know? like It's like the self-criticism yeah, kind man. of talk. That's the biggest and hardest part about it is the self-criticism. It's not so much about, you know, being afraid of like being up in front of that crowd. Because like, you know, at the end of the day, they're just people and you're right you go in there you go out there aware that they don't really give that much of a shit like you're just up there to give a more interesting speech than the mayor did it's less so about the the actual pressure of um going up in front of people it's more like the pressure of can you deliver how you know you can yeah yeah yeah, you know what i mean it's living up to that once again that standard you set for yourself so i I don't know did that answer your question yeah more or less (laughs) i guess yeah Um, i can speak to that like a little bit because like i've had like a similar experience like that's kind of because i've got like anxiety as well and that Mm, kind of is what sets it off is like that like criticism like i'm very much a perfectionist when it comes to those things like i think frankie and sam could both speak to that pretty well in the last couple weeks um going back to high school like my balls or like formals for example like year 13 i let landed myself a date with this like beautiful girl like really nice she was mates with my mates and stuff so we all kind of went together showing up to like the pre-ball function after i had spent a month hearing from every guy that i know being like don't screw it up don't just like she's like so beautiful this is your like, hot she's, ticket yeah like, this is your hot ticket and that just like got in my head and then like throughout everything I did just examining every move yeah, yeah, been like yeah. did I do that right yeah. all that stuff and I was just completely like out of body experience that whole night just like <laughs> freaking out my parents had like never seen anything they're like Jack like what's up and I'm like I don't know like yeah. it's just like a completely bizarre thing so like that self-criticism when it comes to social anxiety, I think it's probably like one of the biggest yeah, drivers behind it is that post thought, like post action. Mm-hmm. Just thinking like, did I do that right? Who cared? Or like, who did I impact by that? Or like, yeah. was it funny enough? Or yeah, was it smart yeah. enough? Like that kind of thing. It's a weird mixture of internal and external validation. Yeah. You know, like you are looking for those social cues in social mm. situations like, oh, did they laugh? Did they like smile? Um, and then you use that to feed your own internal validation. You're like, okay, like obviously I did that. I'm good enough at like making jokes or like talking to people to get this reaction. So it's like, it's a cycle, you know, if they feed off each other, external internal validation kind of like compounds and gets heavier until the point where, you, you know, I think what I noticed for me, and like similar situations to you, you know, you'd have specific situations where really kick off, right? What I recognize is that there were, there were points where I was just like, I'm not going to hang out with my friends today. This is like, and this is the most fucked up thing, like, and I hate it, but this is what I used to do throughout like second year, third year, is I would be like, I'm not going to hang out with, with this friend because I don't think I'm going to be as funny or as me as I was in <laughs> the past. How yes. bad is that? Yeah, That's fucked bad, up. Yeah. So I fully like stopped hanging out with people because of that, mm. because I couldn't just stand like not feeling like I was being good enough. That's, that's kind of like similar to what you were saying, right? You're in these situations where you're just like, oh my god like I don't even feel like myself like this is a full out of body experience you know like and like yeah I very much had a similar thing like 
high school and uni, like I just like didn't go to parties because like, I would know that like my anxiety would get set off yeah. by even showing up. Yeah. So like so much of the point, like and like even like drinking and drugs and stuff, because I reasonably onto it kids are kind of knowing like if I feel anxious and then I go and put alcohol or drugs in my body like go smoke pot or go have a six pack or whatever like yeah, yeah. that's just going to set it off even more and like yeah. make it so much worse exactly so I just kind of like strayed away from that pretty much entirely up until the last like couple years when I kind of go easily back into it yeah. kind of thing yeah I, I definitely like alcohol and drugs because they're such a big part of the university experience yes yeah. I think can quite often actually help people hide their anxiety mm. a little better you know like I, I sometimes wonder if like how hard I went in first and second year Michael scrumpy hands Michael scrumpy hands yeah I, oh god I can't drink a ginger scrumpy again ginger scrumpy why ginger scrumpy of like all selections oh Bro, it has that kick you know it has the kick yeah. that starts the night first year all it took was one scrumpy and I would yep. have the best night of my life whereas now it takes like one and a quarter so you know it's like pushed up a little bit mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> student budgeting eh yeah man down the drain <laughs> But I do think that kind of comes into, like, our drinking culture as, like, a country, yeah. though, like, a little bit. Because we have, like, the, like, tall hoppy syndrome where, like, you, you want to be different, but you don't want to stand out too much. And then drinking is such a big part of our, like, social experience. So do you think that that may, like, exacerbate the drinking culture we already have? Is like, the number of people that are feeling socially anxious. Yeah. Or even, like, the peer pressure, like, oh, like, my mate's going to go do gear at some festival. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do some too. Yeah. Or, like, trying to, like, beat your mates. Like, oh, he, he finished a coffin. I'll do a coffin and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just, like, always competing. Crate Day is just the biggest example of all that yeah. together, eh? Looking back, from a young age, you start to associate socializing with drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when I was like 15, 16, my mates and I would just like sneak out to this little campsite by the beach and we'd just like get our mate's cousin to to buy us like an 18 pack of double browns. And like that was, that was. Split between nine people and that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. night. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then like, you know, that, that is what, um, from a young age you start seeing as like a good time. Mm. Um, you know, I, like how often do you go a weekend without drinking? Yeah, I mean, like, right? Like, you know what I mean? Not like, often how, enough. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I was like incredibly lucky growing up because I've got like probably three or four close mates back home. Yeah. So, like, one was in like the Crusaders Academy. So, he was like, my body's Whoa. a temple. Like, yeah. I, like, like, you know, just I would rather go out and do my hunting and jet boating. So, yeah. like, he does everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got a couple other mates who were like me, just like working weekends. So they didn't really have time to work and like playing, you know, three or four sports. Yeah. So, like, I think I was lucky in that sense and that, like, there when we socialized, it was like playing a sport or like grabbing my mate's jet boat and like heading up the river yeah, for like a day. For sure. Or like going paragliding or going out fishing somewhere or something. Like it, it, there was no need to introduce alcohol or drugs into that yeah. experience. And I think I had a, like I had a couple mates growing up who were real close mates, but I eventually just stopped hanging out with them because it was just like every time we hung out, it was going to be drugs. You know, I was just yeah. gonna be like, they just they just want to smoke, yeah. smoke a smoke a bong. You know, it's just like, oh, there's you know, there's more to life than this. Yeah, you just get tired of it after a while. But I think, like, going back to what we were talking about, you know, New Zealand drinking culture, I think for sure, for sure that that is like a part of it. And I've had yarns with other mates recently who have been like, what is up with boys only talking about their emotions when they're like 
a coffin deep. Like, why? Like, what is up with that? And I mean, well, it's all of my flatmates in second yeah. year could absolutely attest to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that. Like that's the thing, you know. Um, there's such a thing about guys not being able to talk about their emotions when they're sober and waiting until a few deep to actually get talking. Sorry. Do then it like comes to like the narrative though? Go back a few years back, like all blacks don't cry type yeah. stuff, where it's like. If you talk about your emotions, you're kind of going against the stray of what Kiwi bloke should be mm. yeah, bro. kind I, of thing. I went, um, so my high school years I spent in a boarding school. So like, yeah. like a, I, yeah, yes. That's for another episode in itself. Yeah, yeah I know, right. <laughs> and I think that, so that school um, was a very like country boarding school so there was a lot of boys who um came off farms and stuff and yeah for sure that's a prevalent thing you know especially like the more and more rural the more and more like number eight why in new zealander you get i think the more there's like this pressure this expectation that you don't show emotion you don't talk about it i was pretty lucky like i grew up before going to boarding school i grew up in like a really like open loving household Mm. I was like, I was the kind of kid that would like cry as like an 11 year old or 12 year old, usually because mom and dad didn't give me what I wanted. But also, like, you know, when I wanted to like show my emotions, like I was very lucky like that. I think there's a lot of people who don't grow up with, especially with fathers who are particularly open with their emotions and can showcase that as being a positive thing. Like, I think my dad is, you know, he could have been a poet, you know, like he's there, he's that kind of emotional dude. Um, even then, he's not super nuanced about it. Like, he just happens to be an emotional guy. If he'd been, like, a tradie as opposed to an English teacher and grown up with that kind of background, I don't think that I would have gotten that same kind of emotional connection when I was younger. Yeah. You know? Okay, well, we're going to sort of shift from Jack, the patron saint of sobriety, <laughs> and that sort of chat. We'll just do a few, like, quick fire questions. Yeah, man, hit um, me, hit me. Let the public sort of know who you are. Straight off, just whatever first comes to your mind. Easy. The answers can be big or small, oh, you know? Wow. One thing um, that I could, that I would change in this world. I'm just trying to, like, nail down what I reckon is actually the big one. Okay, first thing that came to mind, um, just, like, going off the top of my head, would... I re- <laughs> it's so like indicative of who I am and where I'm working, but I'd really like to roll back VSM. Like, so voluntary student membership is this thing that happened um, uh, in like, I think it was early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and essentially, like, it, student unions and student associations used to have voluntary student membership. Um, okay, I just want to, like, also, this is not the most important thing that I would change in this world, but just off the top <laughs> of my head. This is Michael Turnbull, the human. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, essentially, it, like, really, like, ruined the ability of student unions across the country to advocate for their students. And I think that really allowed, like, this further um, neoliberalisation of the tertiary sector and how that kind of, like, ruined student voice. It ruined the ability for, like, specific marginalised groups on campus to advocate for themselves. Um, It meant that the general student associations couldn't resource those groups or couldn't help those groups in the same way. It it led to the further privatisation of universities in general, their core complexes, so things like libraries, things like uh, halls of residence, which has just caused so many problems for students coming into universities. Not the most pressing issue in the entire world, but one that I think would one really help students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. One close to my heart. So, next question. <laughs> I mean, you've already mentioned your dad, so you have to choose mm-hmm. someone else. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Is, who's your hero? 
who is my hero? Who's my hero? Sorry, Dad, that's my mom. My mom is my hero, 100%. Mom is a champion. Um, She was part of the first batch of women to be trained in the Air Force. Um, Did she last last the training? No, but that doesn't matter. She was. No, one you of the can still claim that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and she has. She's she's awesome. Mom is amazing. Mom's like the most hardworking person. So she's like pretty cool. She's worked really hard her entire life for myself and my siblings. She's a. She was a twin. She is a twin, and she has a twin brother. She's from a farming family. So growing up, you know, as farming families are, like the twin brother got a lot of favoritism and um you know obviously yeah, ended up yeah. eventually taking over the farm and stuff and mum was just like always like no nah, like i ain't, i'm not i'm not gonna be like a farm wife like screw that like i'm out of here and she went off and did her own thing joined the air force had a couple kids that's cool worked really yeah. hard in air traffic control and has always always worked hard to provide for us and you know was able to send me to a really nice school able to afford a really nice house mm. um so i'm really blessed and lucky to have my mum. she is my hero and I hope you're crying right now, Mom, because <laughs> I'm about to. So, so I guess leading on to the next thing. So you've talked about your household a bit. So it mm-hmm. seems like you've had a pretty nice upbringing. Mm-hmm. Growing up, you have quite a few meals that are your favorites. So <laughs> what, what would be your last meal? Like last meal on earth before you die? Oh, okay. okay. Um, it would be Mom's home-cooked lasagna finished off with dessert of a white chalk brownie. Um, so another question about your childhood. We're really hitting your childhood. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> not well, not attack I, I, mean, I, I was going to get a therapist, but this is way better. <laughs> this is like next level. Well, I mean, like, because your childhood kind of makes or breaks you a little bit, right? Like for, like for like yeah, most you, yeah. people, like it definitely shapes who you are as a human being. So if there was one thing that you could change about your childhood, what would it be? Oh, I wish my parents had let me pick up boxing. Yeah, that straight up. Like straight up. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, I wish that I had done boxing. Like, I've just started doing boxing classes at the moment, and I love it. That, and I almost sometimes wish my parents had been a bit stricter on me, actually. That's, I wish they'd shown me how to have a schedule and discipline. Yeah, that the, the discipline sort of both ties yeah. into the boxing Yeah, well. yeah, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. I, could, I could go on and on and on about boxing. Yeah, I love to that. yeah. Boxing. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we're going to go really serious right now and I know it's sort of grown out a bit around the sides and it's sort of filled out but <laughs> who's your moustache inspiration oh who is my moustache inspiration uh and no you can't say Sam oh <laughs> dang it um no easy answers here <laughs> I know that's a hard one um Honestly, like, it's, it's already been used in the answer a couple times, but my dad, bro, my dad used to have a handlebar mustache back in the day. Well, like, full, like, chopping. Yeah, bro, it's yeah. an unreal stash. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he used to, like, drive, like, motorbikes and stuff. Drive? Do you drive or do you ride motorbikes? One of the two. Um, but, yeah, right. so, like, so, like, that. he's he's definitely my inspiration for mm, that. Sweet. So, moving on from him, moving up the head a little bit. Um, so... Who's your barber? We've seen some pretty, <laughs> we've, we've seen some pretty marginal haircuts over the years from you. Yeah, okay. So yeah, we'd really so. like Can to we know. Can we recommend a few that aren't just your friend, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so uh, my barber is Cuba Barbers. Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. where I go to get my um, mullet touched up. Once a year. <laughs> <laughs> I've had like once every month and a half now, I think. Like month this is half. this is the most often I've gotten my hair cut. What, like um, just, just to do the back and sides or like just, just do, the sides? Well, just to do, so this is like I went in and I kind of like 
wasn't with the normal person that I get my mullet done yeah. with. And I, I think I asked for it a bit too short. So usually it'd have a bit more length on the back and on the top and a bit shorter on the sides. Um, but yeah, so yeah, go on every month and a half and get them okay. to just like kind of shape up the mullet. Because I like to have it a little bit textured. Like mine's not as filthy as Matt Casey's. Um, <laughs> so oh, Matt's like is 10 metres away right now. <laughs> yeah, so I'm waiting I for him to like a little bit less come pounding yeah. on the door. Yeah. Eh? Turns out, so I went to, the, went to the hairdresser the other day and it turns out I have a double crown. Which oh, gives same. it like an interesting yeah, twist. So, I think we all have double crowns. Oh, yeah. It's such Every a mission. worst nightmare. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I suppose we're kind of moving on to the next line of questioning, I guess we could call it, since both of you do law. And, off. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, like, because we kind of talked about your mental health and kind of mental health in general. Mm. And so kind of going into the issues. So now we're kind of going into like the remedies. Mm. You have kind of mentioned to us like you like running, do a bit of journaling and also mm. a bit of socialising. I think Sam was had some questions for you just around like your running practices because like running such a mm. big thing that a lot of people do, or even yeah. just exercise in general. Yeah. yeah, I guess. When did you start realising that running is something that allows you to, I guess, get that sort of breathing space yeah. from like the shit parts of what it is to be a human. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I hate running. Like, yeah. like, I will do running if it's like to play hockey or touch or rugby or football or any other sport, tennis or any yeah. other sport. But if it's to go run down Oriental Bay, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess like, to, to be fair, like over the last couple of months, like I have completely fallen off the bandwagon in terms oh. of running in general. And I've noticed it. Yeah. So like, I guess when I first started really getting into running was... Um, I used to do it a bit like first year and second year, but I really, really got into it as like a consistent thing in lockdown. Um, mm. So lockdown last year. And that was when I used to just go down to Calvin, or Calvin Park, sorry, and just like run laps, right? Yeah, I would yeah. see you. I'd be oh, also yeah. running fast. <laughs> we yeah. were both in isolation in yeah. warehouse working as yeah. I. So we like saw you around the Botans and Calvin and yeah, stuff. Yeah, bro. Yeah. And actually like it's really interesting that, you know, you talk about running being a way to like deal with um, like say like shit things going on in your life and stuff. What I think is actually what I learned and what I think is really important is running laps sucks. Running laps. It's awful, eh? It's awful. <laughs> and also, if you're in a bad headspace and you run laps, I actually think it's worse for you. Because like, what I found is that I, when I was in a bad headspace during lockdown, I didn't have a great time. And I kept running laps on Calvin Park. I can't run laps on Calvin Park anymore because I would just be like thinking in my head, just doing the same repetitive thing over and over again. And to me, that would just lead to me like focusing on like negative, really negative thoughts and negative scenarios and like bad things that had happened. What I found is that the best thing for me in terms of running is like having variety in the routes that I run. Mm. So like one day going through the Botans, the other day I'm running down to Oriental Parade and back. Some days just like, or sometimes just hitting a treadmill. Yeah. Um, and like finding those routes that have like a bit of scenery in it. Like, you know, and it's cool having the changes in, in, in a singular run. So I used to run from my place on Calvin Parade through town. So you'd like go through town, you'd run along like Courtney Place, and then you'd go out round the tip of like the bays to like, I think it's I think just around like Evans Bay around there. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that's real cool because like, in that time, you're kind of taking into account the surroundings and, like, being able to, like, look at, like, what it's like in a city and then, like, being out by the waterfront. It's, like, a really beautiful, like, experience to see, like, the different kind of things that Wellington has to offer. And I also, like, for a while, I was real into meditation. I got so into meditation for, like, a year. And there's this thing about, like, meditative walking. 
So yeah, like I, I do that. Yeah, yeah. it's cool, eh? It's yeah. cool. And you can do you can kind of do it with running. It's yeah. not it's not as effective because you're going at a faster pace and mm. you're trying not to trip yeah. over so people. So yeah. that's kind of like one of the questions we'll go back to a few of Sam's later. But um I talked one of the questions I had was like this like flow state. So it's it's like a theory proposed by a psychologist. He has a Russian name. I'm not going to try yeah, to pronounce yeah. it. Um, but he has this book called Flow. And then he kind of oh, talks about like the optimal experience. I'll like go for walks pretty much every day, just like same route. And like I'll just like look at, it sounds really weird and kind of sketch, but like go look at like random people, like go look at the, the shoes or like go look yeah, at like yeah, a bike yeah. going past or like a seagull flying through and just take things in as what they are Bro, rather yeah. than just thinking about things just to like let my day kind of mull over. Yeah. And like the back of my head. So it's not like the forefront, like yeah, just man. always thinking about it. Like, do you do a similar thing when you're running? Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's what, um, Running or any form of exercise, um, because I find that the job that I exist in at the moment, that I exist in, that sounds weird, the job that I have at the moment um, is like... It sounds very temporary. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you plan on leaving? No, 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 definitely, definitely not, definitely not. Um, um, not after last year, Jack, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, no comment on that one. Um, you know, like, I find that it's, it's a job that you constantly think about because, like, yeah. you've got projects constantly going on and you're trying to lead a team, so, yeah. like, you've always got like something in the back of your mind in terms of flow state like i don't know if i've clicked into something that's specifically like a flow state for me at the moment yeah um i think what's what i used to find as my flow state and what i think i still do find is my flow state is being in front of crowds because i think um another, another form of like flow state that a lot of people talk about especially athletes is when you're just in that perfect mode where you don't mm. even seem to be putting in any any like effort everything seems to like slow down a little yeah. bit and you're really engaged in it and you know they talk about it kind of being like the perfect point between not being too hard because if it's too hard that makes you mm. anxious but not being too easy because if it's too easy you're not focusing right yeah and that for me that flow state is like being in front of crowds and like entertaining yeah. people or talking yeah. to people doing speeches you know like and i prefer it a lot when it's not something that I've written down. So, like, if it's something that I've written down, then I don't have that same flow state, you know, then I'm trying to, like, look at a piece of paper. I'm not really engaging with the audience. It's a lot to do with, like, for me, that flow state comes from, like, working a crowd, being able yeah. to be involved with, like, a large group of people and feeling the energy off that. But in terms of what you're talking about, so, like, like a sort of flow state where you're reflecting on your day while engaging with the world around well, you. Like, not necessarily, like, reflecting, but just, like being present and like having like yeah. that like yeah. experience of just like taking it in as, as as its fullest there's like a nike master trainer called joe holder and he said that there's this quote happy runners run fast oh. so so kind of like and like kind of in sport science people who are performing at like i think it's 80 percent of their like optimum capacity are actually the ones that are gonna win races or win competitions yeah. they're at like the 80 percent where they're just vibing out having a mean as time cool that kind of experience where, like, you're enjoying your run, you're not trying to push yourself yeah. running, like, beep tests or whatever, but actually just, like, enjoying the run, like, and then you kind of yeah. get in this happy place. Yeah, and I guess, like, I think that's something that um, I've experienced a couple of times, especially running down, like, Oriental Parade. Mm. You know, you have the perfect speed, you know, like, you're not pushing yourself too hard, but you have, and you have enough kind of, like, mental capacity left over to be, like, Looking around and being like, kind of like, oh, this is you pretty know, steady run. Sniff steady the run. sea salt. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the 
like seagulls yeah. shitting on civilians <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> not not my yeah, first port of well, call, but well. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I think I used to find a pretty similar thing with um, biking. So mm. where I'm from is the Afatu Peninsula, and it's like beautiful. It's gorgeous. I love my home. I love it so much. But it's all hills, right? It's all Hell hills. Hell of a driver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disgusting oh. driver. Yeah, yeah, you've been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and I used to just bike up and down like all around that peninsula with my mates back in the day those are some of my just like fondest memories because those were times where it was just like perfect like I was at a stage where I was like kind of pushing myself focused a little bit on me biking but also knowing that where I was going was like a cool destination because I used to bike between my friends houses which would be like five or six kilometers away with hills so you hit this perfect steady space where you're like just vibing just yeah. vibing you know you're not worried about anything except the journey you know mm. that's really cool mm. i like, guess i've got one sort of pretty important question i mean you heard jack say you'd never catch him dead running unless he was playing hockey or rugby yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that i guess between being a hamiltonian and a wellingtonian it's been a pretty rough start for both the chiefs <laughs> and the hurricanes to serve rugby yeah, so yeah, true, yeah. is it time for you to come to the right side and become a blues plan uh, not there is absolutely <laughs> no <laughs> plan to ever become this all a blues season, the blues this is our no. year Cool, so that's all we've got time for today. Big thanks to Michael for coming along the pod. Uh, if you want to hear more about Michael's journey with mental health, either check back in because we will be happy to have him as a guest later in the year Ooh. or check out the show notes. By that time, he'll probably be a full-fledged Blues fan. So uh, <laughs> thanks for him. Go on, mate. Hope you have a great rest of your week.